everybody. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being so sweet and so understanding last week. Oh my gosh, I was just about to say the exact same thing. I'm sure you might have seen on social that sweet Veronica passed away on Sunday. So, so, but thank you guys so much for giving us a week off. I super appreciate having the time. And I have a lot of fun. Line oh, really? for you. Oh, hell yeah, Chelsea. <laughs> for this week, yes, so. yes, yes. Holy shit. Wait, what's that sound? Beep, 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 Is that a telegram from the past? Is it a telegram? What does it say? It's a whatogram, and it's from the past. Oh, my God. A whatogram from the past? Would you read it? I would. It's from the ancient past, and it's here to tell us their own fact bang. This is from ancient Greek geographer Strabo, and he said, okay. uh, ladies, I heard you have something called a podcast. I don't know what that is because I'm an ancient Greek geographer, <laughs> but it sounds like something that women are allowed to do. So that's great job, girls. Uh huh. And then he said, I wanted to tell you guys about this really cool thing I just made. It's a map of the world. That's a fact bag. There's loads of those though. But he doesn't know that because he's like, this is coming to us from the past. I see, but he's of, like, yeah, sorry. He's like the guy, he's like the guy that's done done it. Yeah. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And I just want to paint for you like a word picture of what Strabo, our, our buddy Strabo, who didn't know what a podcast was, thought that the world was. Okay, great. In his time, which was a long, <laughs> long time ago, more specifically like 63 BC to 24 AD. So like he was like chilling with Christ. So Strabo was like chilling in Greece and he was like, I wonder what the whole world looks like and he's like I'm gonna do this I'm gonna fucking knock it out of the park and he draws this map and basically the map looks kind of like like an animal skull like you know how like an animal skull is like a, more elongated right than like mm-hmm. a human skull so imagine yep. an animal skull it's surrounded entirely by ocean naturally you have the Atlantic Ocean <laughs> at the top and then you mm-hmm. have what they call the exterum ocean at the bottom on what would be like the jaw of the animal skull so the like lower left quadrant the jaw is it's just Libya. Okay. It's just Libya and Ethiopia. And then next to it, kind of like making like the kind of, you know, like cornery part of a jaw. Right. Is is the Arabian Peninsula, Natch, represent. <laughs> and then there's like a little C, which is the Intarim. And then right <laughs> above that is like what looks like, you know, like the skull part with like the nose and the eye and everything. Right. Uh, and that's going to be your Britannia, your Gaul, ERB, which I guess is Ireland. But they have it way far away. It's like okay. really just like out there. And then Italy or like Rome again maybe like an eighth the size of Libya so like not not exactly to scale not super accurate yeah all of like modern Europe like imagine like that whole part of like that super continent imagine that being about the size of like the top like fourth of Libya okay sure yeah yeah naturally and then you have like a little hole for the Caspian Sea and you're like great that's the eye socket and then (laughs) brilliant the skull part like the back half half you have like little baby just nothing it's not even it's where i guess russia would be but uh uh, strabo was like oh that like that's nothing don't even fucking worry about that and then below that is asia naturally yeah and then all the way at the very far eastern side of asia we all know what's at the very eastern cusp of asia right india yeah and that's it (laughs) and that's that's like the whole map and i was like that's the world you guys we did it (laughs) and i was like it makes sense when you look at this and you're like oh this is why they thought that like this part of the world was like all there was it's just like you've okay you've got europe and like that's the part that's like all kind of cut into little pieces right and then they're like well and then below europe well you've got you know you've got your libya and you've got your arabia and so it was like well yeah so those are those people and then they were like and generally over here somewhere is uh asia and we know it's big and we know there's a lot of it and there's an india there there's an india over there and india is part of it and we know (laughs) that and then there's something else but it's fucking cold and no one's ever gonna live there in a million years no one needs to know about that bit. It's fine, actually. And that's literally it. And I was like... Chelsea, you have no idea how <laughs> you have subtly linked to my topic of today. Are you serious right I'm now? Cereal. Are I am cereal. cereal. I am being 100% cereal with you. It's like, remember when like sometimes we would have these connections in, in the early days of the podcast? It's happened again. Oh my God. I know. What's the name of your topic? The name of my topic... <laughs> 
already excited. The worst movie you'll never see. The worst movie I'll never see. The worst movie you'll never see. Is it in any way related to the Snyder Cut? No, but that's really fun. Uh, but I hope that uh, it gets a Snyder Cut style release someday, but probably not. Okay, so is it is it? It's a cut of a movie that we have. Have we seen the movie, but not a specific cut of it? No, you have Ooh. never seen this movie. And realistically, you probably never will. Oh, okay. Um, does it have Nick Cage in it? No. And later I will explain to you why that was an incredibly offensive question, but you couldn't have known. Okay. <laughs> well, with that, I think I'm going to take myself out <laughs> of the guessing chair. Uh-huh. And then you're going to tell me about your title? Yes. My title is The Green Hell. Ooh. Not yeah. to be confused with The Green Inferno, uh, Eli Roth's critically reviewed film from <laughs> 2013. Yeah, no, no, not to be confused with that. No. Okay. It is different. Green Hell. But it is, I guess, sort of tangentially related to a movie, so. I best say, and it, like, relates to, like, maps? Yeah. Actually, yes. Yes, actually. 100%. Yes, actually. Correct. Yes. <sighs> Um, that's cute and it's great and it's cute. Um, does have to do with like the rainforest or ooh, like keep going. Like, okay, like an anaconda. <laughs> My anaconda don't. I'm afraid in this situation. Mm. Well, I guess I was thinking you said maps and movies, and then you were excited when I said rainforest, and then I was like, oh, like the 1996 cult classic Anaconda, starring Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> it's not that, not that movie. Shit. Yeah, I am waiting for the day that you just come in and you're like uh, kind of like the energy of our friend Patrick with the magicians you're just like okay I just watched this movie and I know this isn't what we do on the show but here's what I have to say here's you need to know my thoughts on this Snyder Cut let's do this <laughs> can you give me even one hint I'm so at a loss even one hint well you've it's so the greenhouse you've got that it's there's a movie about it and you, you the rainforest was in very much the the correct direction there it's about the island of Dr. Moreau it's about those weird plants that heal cancer, but pharmaceutical Ooh. companies won't let Whoa. you have it. She's firing stuff at me here, left, right. No, it's not about that. It's about... Shit. Well, um, I guess I'm just going to let you wait for it. Chelsea, did you ever see the movie The Lost City of Z? No, but I thought that was based on a novel. It's actually based on a true story. <gasps> no. Tell me everything immediately. <laughs> the Velocity of Z was a very long film. It was so long, starring Charlie Hunnam uh, in the, and he played Colonel oh, I love him. Yeah, well, he was great in it. And also, there's Robert Pattinson. He's in there. Tom Holland's in there. Oh damn, a stacked cast. Oh, and it's a good film, but it's like two hours and twenty-one minutes, so you have been warned. I cannot believe <laughs> the level, the level of synergy. I know between your topic and mine is so funny. Really? Yeah. I I cannot wait. Let me just say, I guess like since you know it's about a film, I'm just gonna say my topic involves a very stacked cast as well. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Well, so Velocity of Z was a movie that came out in 2017. Damn. A movie that came out in 2017 about a explorer and cartographer, Maps, hello, who got lost in the Amazon rainforest. But I'll just, I'm just gonna start at the beginning of where I have penned this story. And I'm gonna try and go pretty fast because there's like a lot to it. So in the summer of 1996, we'll start there. There was a huge flood in the Amazon rainforest and it was pretty much impenetrable for a time. Like bridges got swept away. Um, and then after like after that huge flood, the sun came out and completely scorched the region and rivers sank. And then like, so these bogs became meadows and the islands turned back into hills. And so then after months and months and months of waiting, a team of Brazilian adventurers and scientists headed into the jungle determined to solve what has been described as the greatest exploration mystery of the 20th. 20th century. Yes. Okay. Yes. This group was searching for signs of Colonel Percy Harrison Fawcett, played by Charlie Hunnam in the movie, a British explorer who in 1925 disappeared in the forest along with his son and another companion. When he vanished, Fawcett and his son and his and his companion, his party, had been trying to uncover a lost civilization hidden, supposedly, in the Amazon rainforest, which Fawcett had mm -hmm. named the City of Z. And like 70 years after this happens, explorers time 
time and time and time again have tried and failed to retrace his path. Okay. It's like this cursed rescue mission that people are obsessed with. Like some have nearly died of starvation. Some have been attacked by indigenous tribes with like poison arrows or even taken capture. And some have just straight up disappeared just like he did in the exact same region of the Amazon in a place called Mato Grosso, which has for now many decades been christened Green Hell. I see. Okay. Yeah. So who's this guy? In the first decades of the 20th century, Fawcett had been acclaimed as one of the last of the great amateur archaeologist cartographers. Like he was like basically like a real life Indiana Jones. He would just venture into uncharted territories with like a machete and maybe a compass <laughs> with no way to contact the outside world, but just kind of like a sense of purpose. Right. He would survive in jungles for years at a time, just like eating nuts and shit that he could find. On many occasions ambushed by indigenous people and like mm-hmm. taking prisoner, but then like emerged with maps and been like, here we go. <laughs> and actually I'm fine. And actually I got out of it, I'm fine. And here's the map <laughs> that I drew uh, okay. of this area and you're welcome. And you know, like governments and shit paid him to do that. It's so dope. I want to be this person. It's so dope. Right. But the city of Z was the thing that like captivated him. Years after the discovery of the sort of the quote unquote new world, it was kind of a European obsession that a fantastical kingdom of untold wealth was concealed in the Amazon because of like, you know, racism and stuff. And oh, totally. <laughs> they were like, oh, the savages have gold. You know, they were drawing shit of like minotaurs and headless beings and being like, this is, a, un- you know, we have no idea what's over here. This is the medieval ages and we're crazy. It could be um, anything. <laughs> it could be anything. Look, maybe this is here. I just drew this. What do you guys think? It could be anything. It's certainly not people like we found in every other place we've explored. Mm-mm, nope. But this time it's not. It's actually, this time it's different. Fawcett described it as the last great blank space in the world. So he's obsessed, right? He's like, I'm the guy that goes to and does this thing and I want to, and this place is like calling yeah. to me. He was the recipient of the gold medal in like capital letters, which apparently is the highest honor bestowed on an explorer by the Royal Geographical Society. And these are the guys, like they're basically a bunch of rich dudes who pay people to go on adventures and draw maps, I guess. Sick. Because 1900s. <laughs> sure, yeah, because sure. they're still, because they're still working with old Strabo and they're like, we know this is wrong. Exactly. They're like, this cannot be right. I mean, look at it. It looks like a skull. It's, it's got to be different than this. So Fawcett, you know, is, is his mission to know the Amazon super well. His sons and his family said like, yeah, he dreamed, but his dreams were built on reason and he was not the man to shrink the effort to turn theory into fact. So he was very apparently also very down to earth. He was just clearly like a really hot dude with a machete who knew what he was traveling the world and doing. I'm into Sick. it. <laughs> yeah, so like a real Charlie Hunnam type. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes. By the time Fawcett begun his final expedition with his 21-year-old son Jack and Jack's best friend, because when you, I guess when you were like rich and people were paying you to do shit, you could just kind of be like, you know what? Why not? I'll go. <laughs> I'm a white man. The Los Angeles Times declared of the 1925 voyage, it is perhaps the most hazardous and certainly the most spectacular adventure of the kind ever undertaken by a scientist with the backing of conservative scientific bodies. Fawcett confided to his younger son upon his departure, if with all my experience we can't make it, there's not much hope for others. Fast forward Fair. two years, 1927, he's officially declared missing, which prompts this huge wave of expeditions in search of him. But unlike, you know how with, um, you know how when Amelia Earhart went missing, there was kind of like a planned route that people could go to try and find her. There was like, right. she had a flight plan, right? Fawcett had kept his planned route a secret on possible. Oh, good. Yeah, he had purposefully kept it a secret. Say. God damn it. <laughs> Mostly because he feared that other explorers would discover Z first, like off of an Indiana Jones movie, that he would get there and they'd be like, I'm sorry, the Nazis are here. <laughs> but I guess that was actually a threat at the time. So sure. Um, <laughs> and then he also, because he believed that if he was to go missing, then attempts to rescue him would certainly result in only more deaths. And so he was like, no, it shall be a secret. So let's fast forward. February 2004, David Gran, who is a journalist, he writes for The New Yorker. He decided to see if he could retrace Fawcett's route and unravel a mystery that has only deepened with every ill-fated attempt to solve it. And it was really not easy to find him someone willing to take him into the rainforest because everyone's like, nah, dude. Like people have in the area, people in South America have branded any group of people who attempt to retrace Fawcett's footsteps to find any kind of relic of him or any remembrance, any bones or anything. They call them suicide squads. And also now the relationship with the indigenous communities in Brazil has completely changed. I mean, it was never great, as 
you can imagine, tribes were wiped out by diseases and massacres and everything fun that Europeans brought to that area. Apparently, even as late as 1920, an English missionary guy reported that many Indians had told him it's better to fall into the power of our spirits than into the hands of the Christians. So, yikes. Um, big, big yike over here. Big yikes. And if you don't know much about the Brazilian indigenous tribes, which I really didn't, ever since then, really, tribes have, have purposefully tried to insulate themselves. And the Brazilian government didn't officially approach many Amazon tribes until the 1940s. And there are still some 40 tribes that have no recorded contact with outsiders at all. And, which is a good thing, in recent decades, the Brazilian government has stopped trying to modernize indigenous peoples and has actually instead worked to protect them, which is great. And as a result, many Amazon tribes, particularly in that area, the, the Mato Grosso or Green Hell, where Fawcett mm-hmm. disappeared, have very much flourished since. So their populations have grown and after, after being decimated and their language and customs have endured and grown again. All of which is to say that back when Fawcett was making this journey to try and find the lost city of Z, uh, you could try and win over a tribe with showing them some new technology or giving them gifts, uh, you know, more kind of like trinkets and offerings. And now it's a much more kind of regulated system that they actually, they they demand now thousands of dollars and cars and stuff up to like $30,000. Damn. So most guides just say like, hey, if you go into that territory, you're on your own. Like, no, And the Brazilian government will not come in and get you. Yeah, do fair enough. <laughs> yeah. So this journalist like, do I still want to do this? Uh, and his guide, the guide that he found was like, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be fine. Let's go. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. But first they had to decide uh, or try and figure out what forces his secret route was, right? Uh-huh. Brian Fawcett, the youngest son, who was 19 when his father disappeared, had tightly guarded all of his study and his papers and his diaries and everything. But in 1953, he published he published some of them in a book called Exploration Fawcett, which had a lot of the clues to his father's final journey, a few coordinates and maybe some sort of like sketching of what he thought his route was going to be, which helped people kind of narrow down where Fawcett had been. However, the family recently acknowledged what others had learned to their despair and sometimes death that he had purposefully written fake coordinates oh. and left them in his study to throw off would-be seekers of the city of Z because I guess he was afraid that like Waluigi was going to jump into his window and be like ha <laughs> Oh, Here God. we go. So this journalist guy, off of being a great journalist, he went to the archives of the Royal Geographical Society in London and looked through the stacks of letters that Forza had sent to the institution because they were paying for the expedition. He had to give them slightly more credible information. So he managed to find a letter that was entitled The Case for an Expedition in the Amazon Basin. And within that letter, he had different coordinates and uh, more information about what he thought that route to be. He even actually went to Cardiff and and went to the house of Fawcett's granddaughter, who had, uh, who was in sort of in her fifties, and she had more of his diaries and logbooks, and allowed him to look through them. Uh-huh. This is like literally from an Indiana Jones movie. He's like, yes, okay, here's where I'm going. I mean, it's also it kind of reminds me of like one of my most favorite scenes from Arrested Development, which is when like, Tobias is talking, and they're like, "Well, will that work?" And he goes, "Oh no, it never works. People always think that it's going to work, but like it always ends up the same way." And then he goes, "But it might work for us." But it, <laughs> but it just this is like all of the coordinates have been wrong and they're like wow this man really spent a lot of time and energy uh making sure that no one else could ever follow him but this time but this time maybe i, I just maybe might work. i could find him <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, uh, this is a fun little fact. In 1979, this English guy called Brian Ridout, who was making he was like making a wildlife film in Brazil, he heard rumors that Fawcett's ring had turned up at a store in a city called Cuiaba, which is somewhere in you know in just around that region. They searched through possessions and they and they found they found this ring and that had been sent to the granddaughter who's in Wales, mm-hmm. and she took it to a psychic to ask if she could learn anything about it. And the psychic looked down at a picture of the grandfather and the ring and then just said this has been bathed in blood so that's a yikes (laughs) yeah that's some real hard shit to say to somebody (laughs) I know so they discern the route and apparently the way that Fawcett would conduct his business you know years and years before is that he would just survive in areas with like indigenous and sometimes violent people by telling all of his guys to never shoot and by just walking towards indigenous people with his hands raised I mean that was it that was his whole plan (laughs) 
Look, uh, it works until it doesn't. According to everything that this journalist managed to track down from Fawcett's letters, the final expedition departed from that city where the ring was found, Cuyaba, on April the 20th, 1925. And they had two Brazilian laborers, eight mules, two horses and a pair of dogs and like a team of dudes. And they moved pretty quickly across the Cerrado or like the dry part of the forest because Fawcett forged a path with a very especially designed 18 inch machete. This dude sounds so hot and walked in front ahead of everyone. And he was like inspecting rock formations and stuff. And we all know this from like diaries of trip, right? Mm -hmm. While his son and his son's friend Rally struggled to keep up with him. Then his son gets bitten by a tick really bad. And so they have to stay somewhere for a few days where there have been reports of Fawcett like having this sort of almond shaped idol that was claimed to be part of the lost city of Z that he was going to like take back and offer back to the people. And then they were on their way that they were headed on their way again east towards a place called Bakari Post. And the trail became really insane. They had to check their skin for traces of blood because they were walking through water that had piranhas in it. It was just like <sighs> a lot of bad shit. And there's also this horrific type of fish, which is like an eel that will seek to enter the natural orifices of the body. Oh, I've heard about this. And it goes up your pee hole, right? It goes up your pee hole. Ugh. Horrendous. Horrendous. I was like, what's worse than a piranha? And then I was like, oh no. <gasps> the pee hole eel. It's that pee hole fish. <laughs> it's that ding dang pee hole fish. So they encounter like a bunch of different tribes. There are reports of them having gone through a bunch of different villages and tribes. And but obviously, you know, they're like 1920s white people. So they're writing things like, to Jack's great delight, we've seen the first of the naked savages. And it's like, okay, dude. And there are photos of them with people from indigenous tribes. And apparently, you know, there's there's reports of them uh, playing music together and learning from the tribes and having great times and like meeting the chiefs and all this stuff. And it seemed like it was great for a second. And then as they get deeper and deeper into the rainforest, the heat's oppressive and there are these like horrible singing insects and they don't have any of the natural barriers to any of this stuff. So it makes them really sick. There are vampire bats and scorpions and giant freaking snakes. <laughs> uh, it sucks. Yeah. And then he arrives at this place that was written about dead horse camp he could still see the bones from an, an earlier expedition that he knew had failed to find the lost city of Z so that's like a marker for him he's like oh the bones of a horse I am in the right place Na I mean naturally of course the jungle would soon get so thick that the explorers would only could only proceed by carrying equipment on their backs so they couldn't have their animals with them and this guy Raleigh's foot is still really swollen and bad and apparently ugh, his skin started to peel off so Fawcett's like you know what maybe you're donezo maybe you bounce out maybe you bounce out out of this but Riley was like no I'm not gonna leave Jack here you guys are gonna need me and so he's like Ugh, okay fine fine but I don't want to look at your foot <laughs> it's really gross but then the Brazilians were like hey we're done so thanks so much and so it's like you know Fawcett the son and the friend these three guys they're on their own okay so let's catch up with our journalist uh, in 2004 yes yeah, so we flash forward we flash forward the they get to the place where Riley was bitten by the tick he you know this guy keeps looking out the window expecting to see the first signs of this jungle but he said that actually the terrain kind of looked more like like the plains. Ah, boring. So he asked the guide like, where's the forest? And he just said gone. So he was in the right place where previously Fawcett, his son and Rally had been in deep, deep jungle but it's all been cleared by now. Just through forestation, which sucks. <laughs> um, that is really sad. Yeah, yeah. Apparently an area the size of Massachusetts gets cleaned away every year So, and that was in 2004, so Yikes! Think about where we're at now. But the town, this Bakari Post town, had grown, and there's more than 800 Indians now lived in that area. Like I said, like a lot of these tribes grew uh, since the Brazilian government stopped trying to murderize them. So that's nice. Okay. And it was much more of a village. Like it was much more of a town than than like a tribe settlement. Mm -hmm. Who do they find there? But the oldest member of the village, an old ass woman who had been there when Forza and his expedition <gasps> came through. Holy shit! The last living person to have encountered them, supposedly. And she said, okay. "I was a little." girl when three the three outsiders came to stay in our village. I remember them because I'd never seen people so white and with such long beards and my mother said look the Christians are here and she like <laughs> took them around the town and told them as much as she could and then she pointed and she said the three went in that direction over those peaks. People say there are no white people over those mountains but that is where they said they were going and we waited for them to come back but they never did. 
So he asked her if she had ever heard of any cities on the side of the, on the other side of the mountains from, you know, centuries or civilizations ago. And she said she didn't know of any, but she had pointed to the walls of her house and said that her ancestors had spoken of Bakari houses that had been bigger and more spectacular and that were twice as high and beautiful. And she says, what is it that these white people did? Why is it so important for their tribe to find them? And I was like, oh, yeah. And yeah, that is kind of a bit of like, it's a bit of one of those kind of funny things of like when one when a case really captures the heart of the people because there were so many expeditions to try and find this guy. It became like, you know, kind of became like the, who is the bloke with the treasure? I always want to say Phineas Ferb. Forrest Fenn. Forrest Fenn. Um, yeah. Forrest Fenn. Phineas Ferb is really strong though. <laughs> I think that it I think that it just becomes like a it became like an obsession and then also like an, a way to like guys to try and prove their masculinity to either like do the thing that Fawcett couldn't do like I'm gonna out Indiana Jones Indiana Jones you know yeah and men are weird so like they would want to do that all of these stories end in like death or weird suspicious stories that don't add up one of the people that tried to find him was Peter Fleming the brother of Ian Fleming who created James Bond he went on a failed expedition mm-hmm. did he survive he did but okay by 1934 and the Brazilian government had to actually ban Fawcett search parties unless they you received special permission. I mean, that makes sense to me. Just They were like, please stop coming here to die. <laughs> yeah, it's gross and it's bad and we don't we can't look for you. They think that the total number of around the total number of people who did have disappeared looking for Fawcett is about a hundred. Oh, right. There's that island that's like off the coast of India, I believe, that mm-hmm. has a tribe on it that has just like never interacted with outside civilization and every once in a while somebody tries to go to that island and like it is just like the most insane hubris of like it doesn't it never works out it never works out and these people their civilization is so completely untouched by like any other civilization so I don't know what you're going to do with or for them right or or vice versa (laughs) they don't need you bro (laughs) yeah they are they are absolutely they are a closed system everyone's like somebody's like but me though I'm gonna be the one that goes and like learns and they just get fucking murdered like yeah like completely understandable like again like i it's obviously i don't want anybody to get hurt and like i have empathy for like their families but i'm like i also don't have any like malice towards like the tries people because to them i think literally it's like an alien monster like descending like they don't have any conception of like automated boats you know what i mean like right like, any of this stuff i don't want to like i'm not trying to say like they like can't understand it it's like just that they've never seen it before like they don't interact with it so when it like right. shows up at their house they're like oh fuck no like we're not fucking with this uh, and well, they shoot them with a spear and they die right. and so isn't it most likely that like they're just that like if there are people living beyond like the border of what we have been able to successfully track that those people are like oh you bye and then they just uh, kill them yes that that island by the way is called North Sentinel thank you Sentinel that was the word yeah. I couldn't think of so 1934 Brazil- the Brazilian government says please stop doing this <laughs> people continue to do it and then conveniently in 1951 a government official who was like his whole thing was defending the Amazonian tribes says okay everyone stop now because actually the Kalapalo Indian tribe has confessed to me that they murdered them and I have proof I have the bones alright so everybody stop yeah I got bones everyone go home now alright end of searching for white person annoying So our journalist is like, I'm going to check out these bones, right? You say yeah. in, in 1951, if you have his bones, let me see the bones. So his guide is like, all right, I'll set up a meeting with the chief of the Kalapolis tribe and I'll tell them that you want to see the bones. And he's like, great, that sounds great. And they arrive, you know, close to the neighborhood and chief shows up at the hotel accompanied by two guys and he's like a late 40s kind of dude and they're all like hench as hell and they all have that like traditional kind of bowl cut super high above the ears, right? Okay. Um, but they're in like v-necks and jeans so like uh-huh. they introduce themselves and they explain like hey I'm here to see these bones <laughs> and the <laughs> chief the chief guy goes well are you a member of Fawcett's family are you a member of the colonel's family and he's like no and the reason that he asked that isn't because he's like why do you want to see the bones bro he's like are you here to avenge him and are you going to kill everyone oh, in my tribe I see and he's like no 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 dude I don't want to kill you I just want to see the bones I'm interested and um, <laughs> so Chief, this guy, Chief Vajuvi, says, all right, I'll tell you the truth about the bones for $5,000. Hell yeah. <laughs> Charles was like, shit. fuck yeah. And he's like, oh, I'm a journalist. I don't have any money. And this guy steps
steps towards him and says, the spirits actually have told me that you're coming and that you're rich. And I've seen pictures of your cities and you have too many cars. So give me a car. <laughs> yes. The guide's like, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> I'll come to an agreement. I'll do this. So they come to an agreement. The agreement is, he said that actually it was a pretty good deal. He said, the chief will take us to the national park where we you know where all this happened with the bones. If we pay for transportation and for several hundred dollars worth of supplies. So they did really, they haggled him down, right? Hell yeah. They go all the way and man, it's like very much not an easy journey, but they get to the tribe, this Kalapalo village place. Uh-huh. And so he pays them money and he says, okay, I will tell you what my parents told me really happened to the Englishman. It is true that they were here. There were three of them and no one knew who they were or why they had come. They had no animals and they carried packs on their bags. One, who was the chief, was old and the other two were young. They were hungry and tired from marching for so long and the people in the village gave them fish and beiju. In return for their help, the Englishmen offered them fish hooks, which they hadn't seen before. So that's cool. And then the old man, who we can presume as Fawcett, says, we must be going now. And the people of the tribe asked, where are you going? And they said, that way to the east. And we said, nobody goes that way. That's where the hostile Indians are. They will kill you. But Fawcett was like, I got this. And so they went. The guy, Vajuvi, said, in those days, nobody went that way. For uh-huh. several days, the Calapalos could see smoke above the trees, which must have been his campfire. But on the fifth day, it disappeared. They never found any trace. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> what? Did they not find bones? They, in fact, did not find the bones. It turns out, in fact, that this guy who was trying to be on their side for the government was like, let's just pretend that these bones are his bones. I see. And so people will stop trying to find him. But Actually, they were Chief Vajuvi's grandfather's bones. There was a big lie. And Vajuvi finishes his story and he says, people always say the Kalapalos killed the Englishman, but actually we tried to save them. So Aww. there is an end to this mystery. There is an end to this whole story. Okay, good. Because I really thought it was going to end there and I was going to be. So they meet this guy at a place called Kuikuro Village. All these places sound like they're from Zelda, but <laughs> Kuikuro Village, an archaeologist named Michael Heckenberger. They'd spoken on the phone okay. before they arranged to meet and he was a very well-known professor at the University of Florida and he'd spent years researching in the Amazon. Fawcett came there looking for lost cities, but that had been a thing for a long, long time of people being obsessed with this idea of there being once great civilizations in South America, right? That's like, you know, whether it's El Dorado or beautiful drawings of like Mayan cities and temples, like that it's been a thing forever that there was a, there's a lost civilizations there, right? Right. Heckenberger, he's this like guy in baggy shorts with shaggy blonde hair, like looking like a surfer looking dude. And he, you know, he admits, I'm fascinated by Fawcett and what he did at that time period. He's one of these like larger than life Indiana Jones figures. And anyone who would jump in a canoe and just march into a, a tribe with their hands above their head is insane. <laughs> <laughs> kind of sounds like a dope dude. And then he says, I want to show you something. And our journalist is like, okay. He grabs a two foot long machete and heads, takes the him and his guide into the forest, cutting his way through trails, you know, super cool. And then he points to the ground with his machete and he says, see how the land dips? And it looks like the ground seemed to slope downward and then tilt upward like someone had carved out an enormous ditch. Oh. So he's like, wait, what is that? Heckenberg says, it's a moat. It's a moat, a defensive ditch, and it's nearly 900 years old. Basically, Heckenberger reveals that the entire town, Kuikuro, is built on what is obviously the geographical ruins of a huge city. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> I that I like gasped so hard I like choked on my own spit. <laughs> Oh my god, amazing. Okay, keep going. Using radiocarbon dating, Heckenberger had dated the trench to 1200 AD and he kept going. He tipped the point of his machete to the bottom of the hole and he's like, there was a palisade wall here. He takes him around where there there used to be walls. There were great foundations. There's broken pottery everywhere. Whoa. So Heckenberger basically said, we are standing in the middle of a massive ancient settlement. He was so close. He just didn't realize it was there. (laughs) And it's an understandable why Fawcett would never been able to see it there's not a lot of stone in the jungle and most of the settlement was built with organic materials which would have been like wood and palm and earth mounds which would have decomposed but once you begin to map out the area and excavate it you are totally blown away with what you see the remains of a massive man-made landscape there was not just one moat but there were three moats arranged in concentric circles in a giant circular plaza where they had grown special types of vegetation a sprawling neighborhood of dwellings which was evident by denser soil which within they 
found like human and garbage waste and stuff. They had roads, right. causeways, canals. There's a place where the road ends at one side of a river and then like an ascending ramp and that continues on the other side, which means that they had bridges that connected them. So there is actually all this evidence of the incredible, beautiful, giant civilizations and cities that the conquistadors spoke about when they visited the Amazon. They're just all gone. <laughs> the cities were there, just the geography had taken it all away. And Hickenberger's discoveries have been documented in scholarly journals now. And so it's like coming more to the forefront of uh, everyone's knowledge a little bit. But it's sort of upended the view of the Amazon as a counterfeit paradise that the lost cities are real, <laughs> in fact, <laughs> which is super cool. Yeah, that's so cool. Anna Roosevelt, does... who's the great granddaughter of Theodore Roosevelt, uh-huh. she's an archaeologist at the University of Illinois. And she's discovered along the floodplains of the Amazon settlements that might be like 11,000 years old. That's amazing. And geologists have uncovered so much black earth from ancient settlements that they now believe the Amazon may have sustained at one time, at, at some point, millions of people. I think sometimes, and like we're at the very least trying to get better about it now, but especially like in Fawcett's time, the, I think like the romanticized idea of what you were going to find in the new world, quote unquote, the European explorers couldn't see what they were finding for what it really was. Exactly. Western ideals have to do with like this idea of like legacy um, and empire, right? And like those things are built in stone. And yeah. so it's like inconceivable that, for example, a massive city would be built in, on earth, in earth. But right. it's just because like fundamentally, like on a society level, and I'm not pretending to like know a lot of stuff about this specific society, but like just as an example, like if legacy is not the most important thing in like your, or like the, not the zenith of your society, then perhaps making things in stone or making like big statues that last forever, it's just like not at the forefront of your mind. But that doesn't mean that like your society is like any less complex or like huge or like contains its own riches. Yeah. And and the the crazy sort of darkly ironic thing is that what most likely happened is that, you know, the conquistadors and whoever first came across them in like 1540, whatever, most likely wiped a bunch of them out through disease, bringing diseases or enslaving them oh. or any other bullshit that they would do. So that these cities that they had reported, which then broke down because they were made of earth and then they, all the people were killed, then white people went back to try and find those and they were like, where is it? <laughs> this is bullshit. <laughs> There's not even a, even a little gold. There's not even a rare fuck. This is stupid. <laughs> Final point is that there's a prominent scholar, Donald Lathap, who now is even arguing with the amount of evidence coming out of that area, that the Amazon may have been the wellspring of high civilization throughout the Americas, and that maybe advanced culture had spread outward from there, rather than what we have always considered to be vice versa. And that is the, I'm sorry, extremely long story of the lost city of Z. Eleanor Magnificent, I will give you, let's just like start out with like a double digit, like killer, 10 points for research and prep, and yet keeping it tight. Oh, because thank you so much. I actually think you did go through, like it was long, but it was tight. It wasn't like meandering. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I was you know I was I mean? jumping through some of the pages. I was like, we can, come on, we can do this. <laughs> we got this, we got this. And then, yeah, I'll give you another two points for Charlie Hunnam. Oh. But I will take a point away because Charlie Hunnam was in that awful movie with Elijah Wood where they're like uh, soccer hooligans. Oh, no. I think it's a British film. I don't think it's an American film, but like still inexplicably the storyline is like an American comes to learn like about football. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's sure something. So you do lose a point for that because that is somehow on you. Yeah, thank um, you. But I'll give you three points back for this sort of beautiful ending of like that moment when you were like, yeah, you see this moat and it's like we're in the city. This whole we're time. in it. Holy shit. And it so was me, good. the surfer bro played probably by TJ Miller before he got cancelled maybe. If it was the movie Maybe. different. Guess what, bro? We're standing in it. <laughs> really fucking in it right now. <laughs> Magic actually is all around. <laughs> All right, Eleanor, are you ready for the worst movie you'll never see? Tell me about it. Okay. 
first of all, let's bring it back now, y'all. Cha-cha real smooth. One hop this time. One hop this time all the way back to like like a sick, sweet 98. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, yeah, we're there. All right. We're hanging out. We're children. I got a scrunchie. <laughs> you got a scrunchie? I have stirrup leggings. Oh, hell yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, side note, I think stirrup leggings should come back. I feel like they elongate your leg so you don't look like the WB frog, which as you know, is the thing that I am always the most afraid of looking like. <laughs> You're talking about jodhpurs. What? You're t- are you talking about jodhpurs? A jodhpur, like the equestrian thing? Yeah. Stirrup leggings. Is that the same thing? Oh, no, no, no. Okay, so a stirrup legging is just like a regular legging, but it has like a little piece that goes like underneath your foot. Oh, And okay. so it gives like a little kind of like pointy appearance from the side. Okay. It really elongates in my, in my opinion. I've gotten so off topic. So something I think about a lot ever since I read an article that brought it to my attention and it kind of like you know like shattered like the window for me and I was like holy shit Uh social media (laughs) along with all the other things that it's done ruined our ability for better or for worse to party with celebrities I realized that (laughs) growing up no this is true I realized that growing up I was always inundated with images of like celebrities going to or leaving like clubs there was like this whole idea of like celebrities like being like in Hollywood or like in downtown New York or whatever like fucking it up like all night every night if you were like me and you were creepy you, like there were groupie <laughs> message boards where people would like tell probably mostly made up stories of like hooking up with celebrities um, right. I remember reading a really insane one about Joseph Gordon-Levitt but I was like that didn't happen <laughs> like, the thing is though is that like the paparazzi would hang out like around these clubs trying to get like an image of Lindsay Lohan or Paris Hilton or whoever leaving or entering but they couldn't go in the club so celebrities really kind of felt like once they were in the club pre cell phone cameras or whatever that they could you know just hang out and like have fun and then with the rise of like camera phones with cameras in them and social media they just basically stopped doing it and now like (laughs) as far as I can tell celebrities mostly like some people still go to clubs but like they go to the VIP room or the VIP area they don't come out or they go to like special like members only clubs that have like very strict rules about like posting and stuff like that. So our generation and I guess everybody else past us really missed this opportunity <laughs> to fuck around with celebrities uh-huh. and clubs. And I swear this is going something more interesting than here because it turns out we were just on this side of too young, but not that far away, apparently, which is creepy, <laughs> from getting to hang out with the pussy posse. I am sorry, what? Have you ever heard of the Pussy Posse? No. Okay, so this is fun. The Pussy Posse. Oh, I'm really excited about saying this uh, 800 more times in this episode. <laughs> I had a similar reaction to you. Okay. When I found out that I was, again, just this side of too young to find out that apparently all throughout like the late 90s and early aughts, Leonardo DiCaprio had a group of friends composed of like apparently the worst fucking dudes on the planet. No. And they called themselves the Pussy Posse. And there were, there was like articles in like the New York Times about the Pussy Posse. That, of, yeah. What? Is that like in an alternate reality version of history? No, this is real. Okay. <laughs> so I started looking into it. I was like, I need to know more about this Pussy Posse because I hate it so much. Yeah. And this is basically what happened. Okay. So <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio is a young up and coming actor in the early 90s, right? He's like, does like basketball diaries. He does Marvin's room. Like a series of like kind of smaller, like indie-esque or indie-adjacent movies while he's trying to become like this big superstar. Yeah. Pre-Titanic. Pre-Titanic. Right. Exactly. Pre-Titanic. Also like pre-Romeo and Juliet, pre-really anything that's like big for him. So while he's doing this and he's, you know, in his like late teens, early 20s, he starts seeing the same dudes at auditions all the time. They're like constantly going out for the same roles because they're all like young and white and kind of, you know, like attractive and preppy looking and all American, all that stuff. So uh-huh. one of them is Toby Maguire. Oh no, uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh, if you're a Toby Maguire stan, the story is gonna be difficult for you. I'm just letting you know right no, now. No, I'm not his, I'm like I'm really not. I, I, okay. I I think he's gross. 
He does have like an upsetting face. Like he looks like his hands are always damp. So melty. Yeah. So I'm just upset that he had the audacity to belong to a group called the Pussy Posse. Oh, he was he was Pussy Posse for life, baby. Apparently that's part of the reason that they were in the Great Gatsby together. But anyway, they've been they've been like lifelong friends. Oh. So because they were Pussy Posse. <laughs> Another person who was in the Pussy Posse, but not from like meeting at auditions, just so you can really get like an idea of like how much this group sucked, uh, was David Blaine. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so actually the picture that I'm looking at right now is a picture of Leonardo DiCaprio, David Blaine, and Tobey Maguire. Tobey Maguire with like the absolute worst late 90s like chin strap beard. You know, it's very thin and just around like your jawline. Uh, they're all in a hotel room wearing matching like satin robes. David Blaine full man spread on the hotel couch and you can see his gray brief boy panties underneath. No. Yeah, horrible. And then some of the other dudes that were in the Pussy Posse aren't as well known like um, Lucas Haas. So Lucas Haas remains one of Leonardo DiCaprio's best friends and he's in, basically he is now famous for being in Leonardo DiCaprio movies in like small roles. I Another see. guy's this guy like named Jay Ferguson who like I don't think I've ever, I, I couldn't tell you even one thing that he's been in. Oh, apparently he was in Mad Men but like I didn't really watch Mad Men. So, okay. Well, J.R. Ferguson will become important later. Okay. This I think is very, very funny. Another person that was in the Pussy Posse is Kevin Connolly, who... I feel like I know who that is. Carry on. So so you might, because the thing that he's the most famous for is being an entourage. Entourage. Oh, no. Entourage, the worst show I've ever watched in my whole life uh, <laughs> that I keep trying to tell Connor that we should watch. And he's like, no, it looks horrible. And I'm like, you watch things because they're horrible. Like, why won't you watch this horrible thing with me? And why he's like, no. Why is this one too far? Why is why is entourage a bridge too far? What, because it's entourage. stunningly racist and sexist? Is that why? And he's like, yes. But anyway. But oh, entourage, no. again, if you're not familiar, and I don't know how familiar you are with entourage, because you were in the UK when it was on, but entourage is supposedly loosely based on the life of Mark Wahlberg when he was becoming famous. Yes. Because like Entourage is like about like a young and upcoming like hot Hollywood actor. Mackie Mac. And then Mackie Mac. And then like his brother, who's like an older actor, which is true of Mark Wahlberg, because he had his brother Donnie Wahlberg, and then all of his friends. And so it's very funny that Kevin Connolly was one of the main guys in Entourage because he was basically like also loosely basing that performance on his real life being like a secondary member of the Pussy Posse. Oh god. I know. It's it's hard every time. And it I'm really just gonna warn is. you about it's just difficult. So originally this friend group just formed organically because a lot of them were just going to the same auditions and then they would see each other at the same clubs. But then everything changed when Titanic sunk. Oh. Or I guess hit. <laughs> nice, nice, like nice, nice, nice. The biggest fucking movie. Yeah, nice. And I don't know about you. I personally, as like a petite tot, was a huge Titanic stan. I made my parents take me to see that movie like 11 times. Oh my God. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it was the summer and I was annoying. And they were like, they were like, I will watch this again to get like three hours of peace. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, you were like, take, I was me, so, take me. Take me to see it. And then uh, this is the other very embarrassing thing I remember is I loved the song so much and I would cry every time. <laughs> and then at the end of the movie, you know, they play the full like Celine Dion song because oh, it's yeah. playing. It's playing. OK. And I'm like, not going to get emotional, but it's playing at the end when they and I'll, spoiler spoiler, <laughs> spoiler for, for Titanic, Titanic. <laughs> spoiler for Titanic so this, the ship has sunk and this woman is like 101 years old and uh, and she like she dies on the boat looking at the Titanic and then it it swoops down to like the sunk Titanic and <laughs> and it all comes to life and everyone is waiting there for her and it's like she finally as like a ghost is like reunited united with Leonardo DiCaprio in the dress that she was wearing and like they're all finally together again
again <laughs> on the boat and like the music this... is soaring and it's Celine Dion and my like little like seven year old ass would just run full speed to the front of the theater full no. of all these other people no. and stand in front no. of like all the seats at the front of the screen <laughs> with like my little hands balled into fists and just crying and like just sta- <laughs> just like ex- like letting it bathe over me. <laughs> And I did that like 11 times. So anyway, huge Titanic stand, had the Titanic Barbies, had the special edition of Time oh. magazine about Titanic, the movie. Oh, uh, hell really yeah. Really intense. Oh yeah, intense, intense. So I get it. <laughs> so Leonardo DiCaprio really shoots to like the top of my and everybody else's like minds. Sure. Yeah. And now the pussy posse is attached to like the biggest star in the world. And, and you're never going to believe this, Ellie. Yeah. This group of rich white dudes become fucking insufferable. <laughs> and I mean notorious insufferable. So, like, you can find these articles, like I said, from, like, 1999. Like, one of them is from New York Mag, and it's called Leo, Prince of the City. It's a very infamous article because it came out in uh, June of 1998. So, like, right after. Like, this is, like, still, like, prime Titanic fever time. Right. Right? Leonardo DiCaprio is 23 at this point. It is all in all not a very flattering article like not what you would necessarily expect uh, for somebody like at that status there is an entire like section of the article called the posse where they refer to them as the pussy posse no the quote from the article is the group's core members constitute a frat house of young men some of whom are actually famous (laughs) (laughs) oh god another person that i (laughs) yeah it's mean They talk about how they would like uh, breeze, like breeze through clubs that like Mariah Carey was waiting in line to get into. <laughs> wow, that's oh, how cool, guys! Cool, yeah, very cool. Oh, another thing I've heard say is one of the other people in the Pussy Posse, which I'm like, oh, this makes so much sense, is uh, Harmony Kareen, who I don't know if you're familiar with Harmony Kareen. No, I'm not. You know that iconic like dazed and confused Matthew McConaughey quote where he's like, the cool thing about high school chicks is I get older and they stay the same age. Oh. Uh, yes, disgusting. Yeah. So Harmony Korean, let's see, in like 1990, like five, I think, Harmony Korean made this movie Kids that was groundbreaking and it's really good. Uh, and it's all about like kids and like these like young, young teenagers, like 14, 15 year olds in New York City navigating like relationships and like the AIDS crisis. And it was like really pioneering. And he was like in his early 20s when he made it. And it was like, it's a great movie. And then like eight years go by and he's in his 30s. And he makes another movie that's just all about kids fucking called <laughs> Ken Park that has like a bunch of scenes of like unsimulated sex. Oh boy. In them with like really, really young actors. And it's like, okay. Uh, and then fast forward another like 12 years and he makes Spring Breakers. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> and right. it's like, it's like, okay. So, um, hey, Harmony, <laughs> hmm, hmm. Is there maybe any other part of life that you want to like explore? explore? And he's like, I'm actually good. But then I have. <laughs> I have to give it to him because then he really went like 180 the whole other way and made the beach bum. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So he's like, I guess I'm done with kids. A journey. And we're like, yes, please Thank be you. done with kids. God. <laughs> please be done. Uh, the, the other meanest thing, not the meanest, but like another very mean thing in this article that I liked a lot. Again, when the writer is like explaining the pussy posse, uh, is she says, and then there are the other guys in Leo's pack who make up a kind of former child actor brigade. There's Jay Ferguson, once Burt Reynolds' wisecracking son on Evening Shade. I don't even know what that is. Um, And then this one, this is my favorite one. Josh Miller, who played Keanu Reeves' little brother in River's Edge, but never became Keanu Reeves. Savage. That is savage. (laughs) Fucking savage. Damn. So so they were known for going to all these clubs. They were known for, they would do things like, they would like throw like grapes and tomatoes at reporters. Like they would like stand on the balcony of their hotel and like pummel fans with like their trash. Wow. Yeah. There was one story of like somebody trying to uh, get an interview with Leonardo DiCaprio for like a magazine and they kept calling him his um his publicist and trying to set up an interview 
and like just getting the runaround. And then one night, like she recalls, she got a phone call and it sounded like a crank call and she could hear like all these like, like snickering and like laughing in the background. Like there was like a large group. And this guy was like, Hey, uh, I heard you're trying to get an interview with Leo. Uh, if you're going to, if you're, if you want to talk to him, you're going to have to make a deal kind of like what Monica did with Bill. You catch what I'm saying? Oh, cool. And then they hung up on, and then they hung up on her. And like, oh, great. Maybe the most upsetting, but maybe not the most notorious story about Pussy Posse has to do with that guy, J.R. Ferguson, like I said, who I couldn't tell you even one goddamn thing he's been in. But I can tell you <laughs> that he and Leonardo DiCaprio apparently decided that they were uh, going to have like a friendly Pussy Posse competition for Elizabeth Berkley, who, if you remember, is Jesse from she was in Showgirls and she was in Saved by the Bell. Oh, yeah. Okay. At the time she had a boyfriend. Cool. But that didn't stop them because they were like, we're pussy bossing. Right. So they start, they get her number like through friends and they just start like harassing her, like calling her every day, every night, come out with us, come see us. Can I come over? And it gets so bad that she tells her boyfriend, <gasps> I can't do this anymore. Like I'm thinking about changing my number. Like I, I don't know what to do. They're, you know, they're friends with everyone. They know everybody. They won't leave me alone. So the boyfriend gets on Elizabeth's phone and basically tells them, you need to stop and you need to leave her alone. She's not interested. She's in a relationship. This has gone too far. And Jay Ferguson says, well, if that's how you feel, why don't you fucking come down here right now? What? And uh, I'll kick your ass. What? So this guy does. He goes and meets the pussy posse at the restaurant that they're eating in. And they get in this like physical altercation. And depending on which article you're reading, so the Prince of the City one I was talking about, it says that Jay Ferguson is the one that hit the boyfriend. Other articles I've read say a member of the Pussy Posse hit the boyfriend and that they won't say like who it was. So it's not clear. And probably there's like a legal reason why they can't say because whoever did hit him permanently damaged his larynx. Like they punched him in the throat. Holy shit. Yeah. And have like (laughs) disabled this man uh, forever. So that is maybe like the most upsetting story about the Pussy Posse, but it's not the most notorious because this is where everything comes real circle. Okay. The most notorious story about the Pussy Posse is about a movie called Don's Plum. Don's and basically Plum. What, Don's Plum. And there's a reason you've never heard of it. It's because it was never released. So hey. at the height of Pussy posse which is like, I know, which is like 2000, they decide, and the reason I hate this so much is because like, it is just, ugh, it is just you know yeah like, i don't even know how to be like more eloquent than that like it's just like bleh. they decide like so many like white dudes in their 30s who decide to start a podcast ourselves included <laughs> they really turned to each other and said god we are so hot and we're so famous and we're so funny we should just make a movie about us wow and so that's what they do so they get a director and a producer and of course like any producer at this point is fucking thrilled at the idea that like leonardo dicaprio toby mcguire so remember Toby McGuire at this point has been in like um, what is it called uh, Cider House Rules he's been in Pleasantville uh-huh. he's attached to Spider-Man like th- these two people plus all of their like at least semi-famous friends right. want to make this movie so they basically this director like follow them around of just them being themselves but it turns out them Ugh. being themselves is fucking awful <laughs> people who have seen the movie say it has no plot it no. is just like Leonardo DiCaprio and Toby McGuire and their friends getting into fights with people there's a part where leonardo DiCaprio like approaches a bunch of girls and says do you girls masturbate and then when they don't answer he says stop looking at me like that i'll fucking throw a bottle at your face you goddamn whore oh cool uh, so it's really fun yeah very cool but like other than that like from people who have seen it they're like it's not even particularly like scandalous like it's not it's just some boys dicking it's, around it's just yeah it's like in some ways like the most offensive part of the movie is that you can just tell that they think they're so funny and interesting and they're not even really that fun or interesting but here's the thing that movie never saw the light of day because it premiered at the berlin film festival and dicaprio and toby and mcguire's teams 
lost their shit because in their mind these are like two of like hollywood's golden boys again like as i said this is in 2001 it premiered in february of 2001 right um, at this point toby mcguire has already been filming on what's going to be the new spider-man franchise for yeah like the past like seven months leonardo dicaprio is leonardo dicaprio they're like we cannot have this so this cannot leonardo happen Dicap- this cannot happen so and i guess like i don't know if somebody talked to them or like something or maybe like they thought it was fun when they were making it but didn't really realize what it would look like when they until they saw it like on screen but somehow like Leonardo DiCaprio and the rest of the Pussy Posse have a change of heart and Uh they launch they launch a full-scale campaign against their own movie Uh, they go straight to and this is another just prepare yourself it's very gross the Pussy Posse goes straight to Daddy Weinstein oh no at the Weinstein group and say Daddy Daddy Weinstein this movie cannot come out and he says I get it I too am fucking disgusting let me take care of this they file a lawsuit and have the movie blocked so that like not only can it not be released but like it's illegal to distribute it in any way and what this means is the producer that put up like the 10 million or whatever to make it can't recoup any of his money (gasps) oh my god imagine sucking that much oh yeah you have to sue yourself yeah so they were like no 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 can't come out. That happened in like 2001. In like 2014, Dale Wheatley, who was the main producer who lost all the money when they decided that like they didn't want this movie to be seen. Yeah. Again, the movie that they came up with, wrote, <laughs> and then made. Yeah, about uh, themselves. About themselves <laughs> being assholes when they decided they didn't want it. This guy lost all his money. And so in 2014, I don't know, I guess he just decides, fuck it. Yeah. He makes a website, which you can still see, called Free donsplum.com which features an open letter to Leonardo DiCaprio that starts oh my god dear Leonardo DiCaprio I have not spoken to you since you successfully blocked our film Don's Plum from being seen by the audience for whom it was intended you might be the only actor in the history of American cinema who has publicly and unapologetically shamed his director and then went on to destroy his work and we might just be the only living filmmakers in America to have their film banned in the US in Canada. Now, I don't actually know that that is true, but that is barely how this man feels. Okay. Other highlights from his open letter are, you are not bigger than art, Leo. You are not bigger than the films in which you act. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know you anymore, Leo, but I hope that you've learned a little bit about film preservation and your responsibility to protect and contribute to the ongoing experiment of filmmaking. So, like, it's a little self-important, because, like, also, I don't know that anybody really needs to see this movie, I am like generally like I don't think that like it's going to enrich anyone's lives but I in general like am against censorship and I'm especially against like rich people bullying uh, yeah. other people to get what they want sure I'm not I guess I can't say I'm against white men winning um, <laughs> white men winning is like like Easy Mac okay. like there was a time when I just ate Easy Mac so much because I really liked it that I was like I'm actually done with Easy Mac for like a long long time sure yeah okay that's kind of what it's like like I yeah, Easy Mac's great. Like I love it, and it's it gets the job done. But I did get to a point where I was like, I've had so much Easy Mac now. Yeah, it would be I great to stop. have other things. Yeah, to have even just one other thing. So after Dale Wheatley makes this website with his open letter to Leo, he also really, I guess, just says fuck it. At this point, I guess he's like really really giving mad. up on any chance. Yeah, he's giving up on any chance of like making money from Don's Plum, and right. is now just like after like sweet sweet revenge. Yeah, he just puts the movie on YouTube. Hell yeah. Yeah. Yes. The whole fucking thing. Yes. Uh, which Leo and Toby's people immediately get taken down. Sure. That makes sense. That does track, but. Yeah. <laughs> which is all, but it's also funny too, because again, like 2014 Leonardo DiCaprio is in a very different place. Yeah. Than even like 2001 Leonardo DiCaprio. 2001 Leonardo DiCaprio is still in his early twenties. He is still like the movies that Leonardo DiCaprio made right after Titanic. And I know because I saw all of them. Sure. Uh, it was like Man in the Iron Mask which didn't do very well. Uh, the Beach, which didn't do very well, but I consider a cult classic. And if you haven't seen it, you should oh, absolutely it's so good. watch it. It's, so it's good. fucking bonkers as shit. Um, Gangs of New York, which was definitely like a prestige part because it was in a Scorsese film. Yeah. But like not, again, like 
under underwhelming, underperforming, both like critically and uh, money wise. So it's not that he was like taking a tailspin, but he wasn't getting those prestige roles. Right. And Leonardo DiCaprio had said since his childhood, since the formation of the Pussy Posse, <sighs> uh, that he wanted to be the next De Niro. Like that is what Leonardo DiCaprio has always wanted to be. Okay. Um, and I guess in many ways you could say that he has achieved that uh, yeah. because he did. I think as we all remember, he just like there was this hard pivot in like I don't know 2004 2005 where he was like I will be in every goddamn biopic yeah. until somebody gives me a fucking Oscar yes he was like I will be J. Edgar Hoover I will be this other guy I will be the wolf of fucking Wall Street where is my Oscar give it and to then me and he finally got it and then he finally got it for that dumb bear movie and I was like oh do we get fun Leo back and he was like no nope after all that my uh, title was a little bit misleading because all these moons passed, I guess, yeah. 20 years on from Don's Plum, uh, some kind soul has re-uploaded it to YouTube. As of right now, the link still works. I don't know how long Quick. it will be up. <laughs> Someone but maybe, it. Like, but maybe now that like Leo has his Oscar, maybe like that was what he was waiting for. He was like, no one will see this movie until I get my Oscar. And then he got his Oscar and he's like, okay, fine. This uh, podcast watch is it. actually sponsored by Don's Plum. Go ahead and uh, head to YouTube and watch it, <laughs> watch it right now. That is a cap on Don's Plum. That is a cap on like a very, very specific like section of like Hollywood history that could have only happened at that time. It's like the perfect mix of like the zenith of like celebrity culture and also like right before social media. Because also like social media existed, they wouldn't have been able to keep Don's Plum a secret. Right. You know no, what I there's mean? There's no way. And they would have been yeah. utterly cancelled. Oh, yeah. They would have been canceled for everything that has happened. Uh, but instead, Leonardo DiCaprio, like, got to have his, like, weird meme renaissance where, like, a bunch of 14-year-olds who didn't even remember Titanic oh, uh, were like, give him his Oscar. He seems sad. We're going to start off with eight white men winning, you know, but also just had no idea that these horrible guys had encountered each other. So that's great. And then I'm going to go ahead and plus two for stirrup leggings. Yes. Yes. Pussy Pussy in general, tough. Tough to swallow every time. So that is a Minus three, but yeah, Titanic, Romeo and Juliet, period, Leo DiCaprio, just objectively yummy. That's plus three. Yeah, um, yeah and then yeah, I've written, yeah. then I've written no Toby Maguire, no, 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 no. So that's a minus. That's gonna be a minus five. But I'm gonna give you. I'll take. I'll take that hit. Yeah, but I'm gonna give you three back for Marky Mark. I like that he oh, was around. Okay, thank he you. He always brings me joy. Titanic stand. That's plus seven. Good. <laughs> yes. That's. Uh, what about what about Toby Maguire's uh, chin strap in this picture? Well, you've just minus one. You've, you've minus one for yourself. There. <laughs> I've minus my. You've minus yourself. So that comes up to, I believe, 14. So we're even this week. Oh, that's gorgeous. I love that for <laughs> Isn't us. That sweet and a special fun long episode. I mean, the whatchamacallits deserve it because we they let us take a bye week last week. So that's true. That is true. Chelsea, where can people find you? People can find me at Chelsea Harfouche wherever internets are sold, unless it's TikTok. And then you're going to want to look for Thought Leader with two R's. Cute. And you can find me at Ellie Main on Instagram and Ellie Maney on Twitter. And you can find this podcast at WhatPod on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, Facebook, Patreon, all that good stuff. And you can find our website at those two girls.club. Thank you guys so much for listening. And this week, I don't know, maybe go learn something. Just like Ellie's personal, like, love, lover boy, joy yep. toy. Sure, sure, sure. Toby McGuire always Blech. says. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was so real. <laughs> that was so authentic <laughs> that it's difficult. <laughs> Keep it loose. Keep it tight. Pussy posse style. No! Say, <laughs> say your prayers at night. Monster! <laughs> <laughs>